All right, here we go again. Good morning, Dan. Good morning, Angela. How's it going? Going pretty well. It's been it, a while. It has been a while. This is a fucking doozy, man. We've been really building this one up and talking it up for a while. Today we are going to be talking about the X-Pill. This is our follow-up episode. We did the X-Pill experiment. It. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was really gnarly. So, Dan, why don't you talk about how that transpired? Because I think we had an idea in our head of how we were going to do it, and then we ended up being a little bit spontaneous about it. So. Yeah, well, we were just we were talking about how we hadn't had our own flower confessional in a while that was off the podcast, so... Yeah, I mean, we have... We have the flower confessional obviously started as us just sitting down and talking, and then it became a podcast. So if you don't know that, then that's the history behind it. So we were just hanging out. We, I asked Angela if she wanted to hang out and talk and have that own flower confessional that we have, but I was just playing video games in my office area that she refers to as the bro hole. Yeah, it is a bro hole. It's yeah. got a it's got an <laughs> IKEA couch that looks like it's probably a little bit past its prime. A little bit. It kind of looks like a gay porn casting couch. Yeah, I would say because whenever I sit on it, I just want to be like, "So, what's your name? How old are you? Have you ever done this before?" <laughs> Never. Never. I'm just I'm totally straight. Yeah. I'm just trying to pay my tuition. <laughs> anyway, go on, Dan. But so we were talking, and then I don't remember how the conversation led into it. One of us must have mentioned the next podcast episode or the X-Pill or something. And we had them here because he finally found the candy hearts. So it took us forever to find Tic Tacs. Oh, yeah. Tell the story of the Tic Tacs. That was a pain in my ass. We looked online. We looked on eBay. We went to multiple stores. We had other people check for us. And apparently they don't make the red or the purple ones anymore. I can understand why they don't make the purple. Because it's grape. But a tic tic tac. Right. But by definition, isn't a tic tac a breath freshener? And when you think of breath freshening, you think of like what peppermint, spearmint, and cinnamon, right? The reds are cinnamon. Right. I I couldn't fucking believe it. I was very upset. And then I went online. So I went online to look for them. And I'm like, why are they $50 for a pack of six or something? And then I Googled it. And if you follow us on Instagram at The Flower Confessional, there is a petition. To make red Tic Tacs again. Yeah. Which I think that's a kind of a stupid thing to make a petition for, but I appreciate those people doing the Lord's work because this could have been a lot easier. <laughs> we had just been able to find them at a grocery had store. Had the Tic Tac company not made this tragic, fatal decision, I am upset. Anyway. I hope they go under. I do no, too. I I hope they fail at everything they love. (laughs) Anyway, uh, so I didn't know what the fuck I was going to do. I went to two huge candy stores at the Mall of America, and they had little candies that were red or purple, but they had them mixed in with other colors. And they were so nice and so Minnesotan. They were like, oh, you can take the little scooper and, like, you know, pull out all the purple or red ones. And I was like, oh, my God, you're so cute. Like... If you went to Philadelphia, you went to a candy store, and you were like, yeah, I just need, like, a solid purple candy or a solid red candy, and it was mixed in, if you were in there picking the purple ones out, they'd be like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> but it's Minnesota, and everybody's so nice. 
So I was really discouraged and I don't know exactly how I found them, but there is an Etsy store called Novelty Meds and they take an actual childproof medication bottle and they will custom make you a label and they fill it with 30 candy hearts. Now the candy hearts are bigger than a normal pill, but the packaging is cool and it makes sense. And I think that because a lot of what surrounds this experiment for us is like love, like doing what we love and finding love and finding out the truth about love and all that kind of stuff. So the red heart is actually in some ways way better than the red Tic Tac. But yeah, I made a custom label. It says take one candy heart and set an intention. I can't remember what it says. It's, I can see it. I can see the pill bottle on the buffet, but it's too far away and I'm comfortable and lazy, so I'm not gonna read it. And we had them here for a while because you had gotten them in, but we were kind of just waiting to start it. Is well, that... I think I got them when you guys were in Florida. You were on vacation mm -hmm. and I ordered them right when you left. And then when you came back, they were here. But I don't know, I think there might've been a little part of us that was a little bit reluctant or whatever. We were trying to figure out the perfect place and way to do it. Yeah, and we wanted to be like in the right mindset and whatnot. That's how it came about spontaneously. Because we were just sitting on the couch. I was playing video games, we were talking, and one of us mentioned it, and we were like, should we do it later this week? And we we're like, yeah, let's do it later this week, like when we both feel like, yeah. like pumped to do it or whatever. And then we were like, no, screw it, we're doing it right now. I know, it was crazy. It was like, if you have acid <laughs> and you were like, okay, Thursday at five o'clock, we're going to do 503. At 5.03, we're going to do acid. And then we were just like, no, let's do it now. So it was, it was weird. I mean, like the anticipation, the way that we decided to spontaneously do it. Again, there was so much buildup once we were like, oh, let's just do it now. Let's not overthink it. And then we decided to do it, and it was like there was this kind of electricity in the air. It was really weird mm. and cool. I went full stoic. Yeah, he went like, full on um, fucking I don't even Scandinavian. Know what that was, just... But I felt, I don't know, I felt kind of exhilarated and excited. And it's kind of like hopping in a car with your friend and being like, let's just drive to Chicago. Yeah. Like, we don't have a plan, let's just do it. Or this is something we always said we were going to do, and now we're going to do it. And, and we did. So, Dan didn't want to do it in the bro hole. The bro hole is his office slash where he plays video games slash I don't I don't know what else he does in there. I don't know if I want to know what you do in there. <laughs> All I know is there's there's an IKEA casting couch. <laughs> there's a card table with a lot of uh, sporting sports cards, sportsing cards, and there's a giant TV and some video game systems. So. Uh, you wanted to keep that space sacred. Yes. <laughs> and uh, so we set it up here where we record the flower confessional, where we have our regular flower confessionals, and it was the middle of the night, and we wanted to get it, like, kind of spoopy, and and so we... We like, lit this, like, cherub candle. Yeah, it's... It, yeah. Like, spooky cherub. Yeah, I have... It's, it's a candle holder, but it's an angel holding, like, two candle holders. It's real creepy. We had it for our Halloween party and lots of people mentioned it that our Halloween potluck spread looked like sort of a 
vegan snack seance of sorts. <laughs> so it was like, it's kind of dreamy in here. It reminded me, again, I keep, t I keep referencing like psychedelic drugs, but I did DMT when I was like 18 or 19. And I remember me and my boyfriend set up like twinkly lights and put on like some kind of ambient music and we set the mood. We set the mood for the expo. It was kind of awesome. Yeah. But it was intense. What was... I don't know. Dan went full on stoic. So like, I don't know what was going on through his... I mean, we were talking and we had our connective time, but I took it and I burst into tears within like 10 seconds. Which is like the reaction that a lot of people tend to have. Right. And, but I was so skeptical. We've mentioned the X-Pill experiment like three times in our podcast and we've been like, this is going to be bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> and it wasn't a particularly stressful day. Like even looking back, I've been trying to figure out, was I having a bad day? Was I having my period? Was I dealing with like boy stuff? Like what made me do that? And I just really think it's the placebo effect. Right. Because there is something about the act of like taking a pill. And once again, if you haven't listened to our podcast on it before, it's literally a sugar pill. Like there's nothing special about it. But there is something about the act and the placebo of feeling like you're taking something where it's just going to do what it's going to do and there's no turning back. Like as if you took a drug, as if you took a prescription. Yeah, it's really intense. I think... A big part of why it was so intense for me, not only was there's a huge buildup, but it was an archetype for me to be like, you know, I've been doing so much inner work on this intention that I have, and I've been really controlling it and trying to steer the ship with it, and now I'm taking this pill, and it's not really a pill, it's a piece of candy, but taking it was this symbolic, like, all right, I'm going to let this go. Yeah. And that, as a person who is generally pretty type A, and if it's going to happen, I've got to make it happen, to realize that the last, at least the last year of my life, has been doing a ton of inner and outer work about the intention that I set, and just being like, all right, what if I can't control this? And what if I'm choosing to not control it anymore? There was a... I don't want to say it was a fear because fear would be scary or something. I think it was more like unburdening myself, but also the uncertainty. I think a lot of people think that if you don't control something, it's not going to work out the way you want it to. But then I look back on my life and I think of all the things that I had a really, really tight grip of control on thinking that I knew the outcome and that I had this specific result that I wanted, once all of that went to shit for one reason or another, it ended up playing itself out in a way that was possibly even better than anything I could have anticipated. That narrative rings true through so many aspects of my life. I went to college and I thought I was going to be a buyer for a big luxury department store and that crashed and burned and I became a makeup artist and I make way more money and I'm way happier than I would have been working for Neiman Marcus and I thought that I was going to be with this person for the rest of my life my ex-husband and that didn't work out and 
because it didn't work out, he and I have evolved and grown into two totally different people that are way better not together. I had so many ideas for how my life was going to play out. And once the control was taken from me or my plan crumbled to the ground, God or the universe or whatever was guiding me either in a different direction or because my expectations or hopes were shattered, it kind of opened things up to new possibilities. And so to take a pill like this and be like, yeah, I'm consciously deciding to not know the outcome of this and trust that the outcome is going to be better than I could imagine. That's really emotional. Mm -hmm. It was very emotional for me. What was it like for you? I know that you said in the beginning, we were all ready to do this. We sat down, we got water. And then you said that you felt almost like a hesitancy. Yeah, that was probably my biggest moment in my brain where I was accepting it as like a real thing I was doing was I was about to take it and yeah. I paused and kind of rethought what I wanted my thing to be. Okay. Like, so that, that's when it felt most real. But then I don't know what the calm emotionless thing was about, but I realized, I look back at that later, that's kind of how I react when something's out of my control or something's spiraling. I don't know if it was playing off of your emotions or whatnot, because mm. when someone around me is emotional or having a hard time or I'm having a hard time and it's out of my control or something is spiraling, I just get super calm. Yeah. Like if something bad was happening, I would get really calm and then I'd be like, well, I have no choice but to just like put my head down and get to work. Like that's, that's just my reaction to that kind of thing. Do you kind of get in like survival mode or caretaker mode or something? Yeah. Okay. That's interesting that you say that because normally, remember a few podcasts ago, I was like, I'm the person you want in the passenger seat if you get into a car accident because I'm like, okay, turn the engine off, put it in park, grab your purse, let's go. I've got 911 on the phone. Like, I snap yep. into this, everything's going to be okay. I'm going to come to action. That's kind of what I do. But in this scenario, you and I were doing this together and I was kind of losing it. And I was kind of watching you. I looked over and I couldn't tell if it was because we're under this candlelight or whatever. But I was like, okay, are his eyes glassy or is he just staring at me? <laughs> I was like, what is happening? And then I was like, I don't care. Like, this is, we're doing this together. But since we've been friends, I think I've only seen you cry like one time. And I, it wasn't like a full on like, <gasps> it was just yeah. like a. Swedish man being sad. <laughs> I was like, I feel tenderness. Yeah. <laughs> That's like an extreme. Yeah, and I I do cry. It's weird how little I do because I feel like I'm actually a really emotional person. Or I and I connect to other people's emotions and I feel things. I feel their things. Yeah, I mean I would not disagree with that. I think you're a really emotionally intelligent person. You're a really emotionally safe person. You understand people's emotions. I just think you express them more with your words. And I think that's awesome. I just think that I am a person that's really emotionally expressive. You can tell when I'm angry. You can tell when I'm sad. You can tell whatever. And living with you, there are a few times where I'm like, okay, something's going on with Dan. I don't know what it is. 
But you're not pissy and you're not mopey. You're just different. So I don't know what the hell is going on. So I think there's just like a lot of gears moving in your head yeah. where you're sorting shit out. Whereas I'll be like, damn, we have to talk now. <laughs> and I'll just be like, Ugh. and it'll be like, I wrote a sonnet. Can I express it to you? And I'm there's weeping. There's rose petals being strewn <laughs> about. I have a cape on. That's maybe not true completely, but it's partially true. So talk more about your experience because... Mine was so externalized and yours, I think, was more internalized. Yeah, I think the the hesitation thing was the thing that stood out most to me. Kind of redoing what I wanted my thought before taking it to be. But I noticed in the days, because we've been taking it daily after. As yes. If it's like a vitamin or a prescription. Yeah, so, so we're setting that intention every morning. Yeah. I'm setting my intention every morning. You're mine you doing have, the same? Yeah, and mine have slightly shifted but stayed in the same realm. So is mine. If anything, it's like writing out a to-do list or a, or like a these are my three goals for the day kind of thing. Like I'm mm-hmm. noticing more, I don't know if it's showing me stuff or like the placebo effect of it or I'm just thinking back on that and then now I'm noticing more avenues for those mm-hmm. intentions throughout the day. And it's just interesting watching it as it just slightly shifts because I will adjust it almost daily. Same. So to, to give a little bit more detail, when we took the X pill, I asked Dan, I said, do you want to state your intentions out loud or do you think we should do it and then talk about it later or whatever, or never talk about it. Like when you're blowing out a candle on your birthday and you just never tell anybody. And Dan had said that he would like to take it and not not mention what it was, and then afterwards, when it felt right, to talk about it. So I know the intention that Dan set, and Dan knows the intention that I set. I think Dan's is a little bit slightly more private. So to elaborate a little bit more on mine, so this isn't like, what the fuck are they talking about, if you're listening? The way I phrased my intention initially is I said, I intend to know the truth about true love. That was my intention and I knew that it was going to be surrounding love and relationship stuff because that's a that's a huge thing that weighs on my mind and heart and it has been for several years and also it's really good for me to address it and deal with it head-on because there was a lot of shame surrounding that for a long time like After I came out of an abusive relationship, I was told through a lot of different means that I allowed that abuse to occur, or that I loved the wrong person, or that that person saw me as an easy target and preyed on me. Sort of all the blame came onto me, like I should have known better, I should have been more aware, it happened because I was naive, it happened because I didn't love myself enough, blah blah blah. And so when I started dating again when I started thinking about getting into a relationship again I would hide it I felt like a middle schooler like someone would be like do you like him and I'm like no and that was really maladaptive and really weird or I would express interest in someone and someone would be like "Mm, you aren't ready or you're not whole or you whatever it took a long time for me to be like you don't get to decide that for me I get to decide that And so 
despite being a really confident person that has a lot of really concrete ideas and is assertive and expresses themselves well, I had this shame about this thing that is a basic human need. We have a basic human need to partner and love and have sex and all of those things. So setting this intention, there was this hesitance to actually talk about it. Mm-hmm. Be like, oh my God, okay, I'm doing this. And then we're going to do a podcast on it. Do I want to say that out loud? And then I was it's like, a vulnerable thing. yeah. And it was like, fuck it. I do want to say that. There's nothing wrong with wanting to know the truth about this. There's nothing wrong with wanting this. And so when I set that intention initially, nobody knew about that. I mean, you and anybody who listened to previous podcasts kind of knew that that was something I was going to touch on. But I, even in my own head, when I was taking that first little candy heart for the first time, there was a, well, I intend to know the truth about this thing and then after a couple days after a couple days of saying that I was like well yeah I want to know the truth about it but I want it yeah I intend to know true love it's not I intend to know the truth about it I want it I don't want to just observe facts from the outside I mean that's a big part of it but no I want I want that thing and that's okay and there's nothing wrong with that and to wake up in the morning And have that little candy heart in my hand and to look at it and say, I'm going to set my intention for the day and say, okay, for the last couple days, I've been saying this. And over those last couple days, I've realized that I'm being really conservative with myself or I'm trying to be really careful. So if this thing doesn't work, then I'm not disappointed. If I know facts instead of experience, if I can Google something or watch a YouTube video or if I can observe somebody else's relationship, then I can know the truth about true love, and that's sort of a vague, what distant. We do with everything. So yeah. Be like the jobs we go for, the schools we attend, the. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know if you're gonna fucking do this, just go for it. Right. Just go for it and dive in, and it took. It did, despite how open and vulnerable I thought I was initially. It took me a couple of days to fully dive in. Did that. Same thing. Yeah. I, I like how our initial taking of it was like diving in. It was. Like a five, four, three, two, one, let's go. Yeah. Yeah. And I struggled with the same thing of, I was thinking like, because mine is a few different things. Is this too selfish? Do I deserve whatever? Like, I didn't want it to be like the asking for the pony before you blow out your birthday candle up when you're yeah. four years old kind of thing. But yeah. then at the same time, I was also like, fuck it, like, whatever. It also kind of brought me back to what I remember in, like, the Christian paradigm of, like, how they would talk about how you could ask God for something and maybe it wouldn't be something you'd get or maybe something that you needed. But then at the same time, like, the asking was more so reminding yourself of what you want and the direction you want to go in life because yeah. this whatever all-knowing thing, God, the universe, whatever, already knows what you want. Right, exactly. So it's more for yourself anyways. Yeah, I'm glad that you mentioned that because there is such a spiritual component to this that's beyond psychological, and I don't mean that in a supernatural type of way, but I mean it awakens you to where your spiritual beliefs lie. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. And something that's been a recurring thing that I've heard over the last few months when I've really dove deep into this subject is God or the universe, whatever you want, what you want, wants you back. Or what you want, the universe or God or whatever paradigm you subscribe to, they want you to have that too. And I was never, as a practicing Christian, able to look at it that way. I always felt like I was trying to sell God on my idea. Or that I could sit there and tell God what I wanted all damn day. And God had his own plan. And after a while, it was sort of like, well, what am I doing all this for? Or I felt like God and I were sort of butting heads. And so I'd sit there and I'd be like, okay, God, I really want this thing. And if you don't want that for me, like, can you take that desire away? And that caused me a lot of internal conflict and a lot of problems. Like, if you don't want me to have this, why would you put this desire in me? Or why would you allow me to have this desire when I'm asking you to take it? Or if you've got some other plan for me, can you just help me get on board? Just make me want the same thing. Yeah, make me want the same thing that you want me to have or that you want for me. And there was just so much fighting like inside my head. And I know a lot of other Christians that I have talked to and that I continue to talk to right now that have that internal conflict, especially if they are queer or if they're addicted to something or if they're having some huge hang-up that is a big narrative that runs through that is god like why do i want this why if i'm made in god's image why do i want this thing that he doesn't want me to have right and not to equate addiction and being queer or like anything like that but i'm just speaking in generalities your desire versus what you think God's will is, when that conflicts with each other in your head, it feels so isolating and so lonely. And you're supposed to go to God for those things. And yet you're trying to figure out what God wants for you. And you're trying to reconcile if what you want is what God wants. And it's a big fucking mess. Like in my mind, that is one of the first things that really pulled me away from the faith or pulled me away from this religion or this religious structure that I had leaned on for so many things as a part of my healing. And it was a huge mind fuck. It's almost as if my evangelical experience, I guess, was like, God is really mysterious and he has a thing for you and he wants something for you, but like, you got to fucking guess what it is. And if you guess wrong, then you're going to go through unspeakable pain and he's going to teach you the hard way. And it's like, if you were, you know, parenting your child and you were like, I have something for you or I'm going to teach you something. And they're like, well, what is it? And you're like, guess. But if you guess (laughs) wrong, I'm going to fucking spank you. That's just not how God works in my mind, I guess. But the idea that the thing you want, God wants you to have it or the universe wants you to have it. Or that thing wants you to have it. What you want wants you. That gave me this kind of like, oh, sigh of relief. Something bigger than me also wants me to have that. 
maybe not the way that I want it because maybe the way I want it is codependent or maybe the way I want it is idealistic or maybe it's something. Or there is something bigger and better. Yeah. Like your focus on that thing is stopping you from... Yeah. Yeah, maybe I'm thinking too small. And that's what this experiment so far, it's been, I don't know, five days or something. But that's what this experiment so far has really taught me. Like, maybe you're thinking too small. Yeah. I set my standards really low because I anticipated failure. And once you set an intention that, no, what I want is valid, what I want is possible, what I want is not some pie-in-the-sky idea, then the old patterns that you have where you're settling, you're like, oh, fuck that. I don't need that. But that's a cycle and a pattern of thought that you get stuck in because you think that you can't ask for anything more because you don't deserve it or because you won't get it or because that's for someone else. And that's the biggest thing that it's done for me so far, I would say. The idea of maybe you're thinking too small makes me think in business terms, since I like thinking about business all the time, they say that if you want to double your like business revenue, mm-hmm. that you should make a times 10 plan. Yeah. Because you'll most likely triple your yeah. revenue. You should never plan for that double. You should plan for something that seems extreme. But right. But you never reach it. And then surprise, you'll do a lot better than what your goal actually is. <laughs> yeah, I've worked for businesses that had really ambitious goals, and they're like, okay, let's try to do this. And then they're three quarters of the way through their business year or whatever. And they're like, well, got to set a new goal because we hit that shit. Yeah. And that's really cool. It's just all exposing the possibilities once we get our mind in that spot. And we're just not taught that. We're not taught that in school. We're not taught that societally. Despite this idea of you can be whatever you want to be and this is a free country and this is the land of opportunity and whatever, there's so much in our society that wires us for limitation. Like if you even look at public school, model of education has not changed since the Industrial Revolution. And it was meant to make little kids into factory workers. You sit in a desk, you sit still, you listen, you behave. And if you see little kids, that's not what they're meant to do. Right. And we're just now coming into going, oh, maybe we shouldn't have kids sit at desks all fucking day 80 years later or whatever after the fact. We're like, oh, well, maybe we shouldn't do that. Oh, all these kids that have quote-unquote ADHD and we got to put them on medication so they'll sit in a fucking desk. Oh, maybe kids aren't supposed to do that. <laughs> we're like, oh, duh. But... There's so many things in our society that are becoming deconstructed. We have this idea, and it worked for a while, and now it doesn't work. And as we're unraveling those things, we're going, oh, duh. That never really worked. We just kind of shunned everybody that didn't get on board. We called them stupid, which is why we have, like, the Gary V's of the world who did really bad in school and right. were told that they're dumb and he's worth like a fuck ton of money and he's super smart and wise and helps people build their businesses all the time. But we're all told those lies. I don't think it's just an American thing, but I think we do a really good job of illustrating that in everything that we do. So sure. Like when I was in college, I studied music theory and I should have failed the class except for that. I was given a second option to pass the class. But if I had, mm-hmm. if I had 
Did you have decided... to sleep with the professor? <laughs> Not quite. No, the professor oh. said that if I wrote him three or four well-constructed songs that I would pass the class. Right. So, well, you, if just, I had thought, you just shattered my dreams, but that's fine. Go on. <laughs> if I had thought that <laughs> that like passing that class meant that I was a musician and failing it meant I wasn't. Yeah. Like that, the whole school system thing really gets me for sure. I'm glad people are talking about it now, but it still feels like we're progressing away from it really slowly for how much we know. Like yeah. we're taking our sweet time changing. Mm-hmm. Like we're afraid to change it or not. Not to get too off track, but also... Back to something we were talking about before. I have a question for you on the spot of how you yeah this because I agree. Back when we were talking about like the higher power, God, universe wanting you to have what you want, I agree, and I've come more into understanding that. But I also always struggle with how do you personally deal with the because I've always wanted to avoid thinking of like God as a vending machine. Like if I put in the quarter, I'll get the Mm-hmm. the bag of chips that I wanted you know like that's so stupid but no that's you, a really good balance that's a really good analogy yeah no that's a really good analogy and I've heard that a lot and I've said that to people a lot too because it and, makes me think of like the televangelists with their fancy cars and like it's the blessing from above because they're doing it like, you know like yeah the, well and exactly that's who I get really angry with is the prosperity gospel folks that are like God wants you to have all of these things, so create this offering or whatever. And they do create, they act like God is a genie. To use the vending machine example, if I go to a vending machine and I want a bag of chips and I put a dollar in it, that vending machine doesn't want to give me a bag of chips. It's got no autonomy, it's a machine. And when we think of relationship, because I know you and I both believe in a relational God or higher power. I always go back to thinking of it like a parent-child relationship. That helps me to understand, which is really interesting because when I first started studying and practicing Christianity, I had come, again, from this really abusive relationship. I had a really abusive father. I had a mother that was an addict. Both of my parents were absentee parents. I didn't trust adults. I didn't and still do not trust authority figures, but I'm a parent. And I also like to mentor people and nurture people. So I would hear evangelical Christians and stuff around me um, saying, God is your father. Or they'd say, like, Father God or Papa God or Daddy or you're such a good daddy. And I'd be like, ugh. Like, I was dry heaving at that idea. And I was like, I'm never going to call God Daddy, all right? (laughs) But to look at it through the lens of a familial connection If my kid wants something, I want them to have it. I can maybe look at it and say, you really think you want that thing, but I know once you get it, you're going to play with it for 20 minutes, it's going to end up in a closet. Or, yeah, you might want that thing, but it's going to hurt you. My son loves horror movies, Mm -hmm. and I want him to explore his interests. I want him to be happy, but... I have to be careful about the kind of horror movies I let him watch because I'm his parent and I don't want him to be afraid and I don't want him to see something he can't unsee. So I guide that. But that's not me being a vending machine. He can come to me for his wants and needs and 
desires and his thoughts and all these sorts of things. And I always want to give him what he wants. I just have to stop and think about what's best for him or what are the best means for him to get those things. And sometimes he does look at me like a vending machine. And I think regardless of where we are with our faith, a lot of times inadvertently or unintentionally we look at God that way. I know I definitely have. I've been like, God, if you could just do this. And I didn't think I was acting that way. And I'd almost kind of try to sell God on it. Oh, if I get this, I can help people or I can be a better whatever or all of that. But there are moments like that. Yeah. And yes, we look at that as sometimes disgusting or we look at that as not the ideal of how we want to see God or the universe, it's sometimes human nature to be greedy or to be selfish. And I have faith that whatever our higher power is, you know, we're not fooling them. And I don't think that the relationship becomes severed. If my kid comes up to me and asks me for something after I just gave him something, I'm going to be like, no, I'm not going to give that to you but it doesn't make me not love them. And it doesn't mean they don't love me. It just means they're having a selfish moment or they're just being a kid. And sometimes we're just being a kid. So to answer your question in a more concise way, I would say that it resonated with me immediately when I first started hearing that what I want, the universe wants for me. They just may know that I need some sort of refining or character building or resilience or they know I need something before I can get that thing. They want me to have it. And that's sometimes where frustration comes. Whereas the old way I used to look at things is I have a plan and God has a plan and I got to figure out what his plan is and try to like shove myself in that box yeah I've got to align with that I heard that all the time oh align with God's will align with God's will and it's like well what the fuck does that mean (laughs) number one what the fuck does that mean and number two why was I given free will just to torture me and fuck with me and also I think there's there's another end of it I mean I have a friend who is primarily asexual she's never had a boyfriend she's never kissed anybody she hasn't dated anyone and she's an adult and she met somebody who she fell in love with and that person doesn't reciprocate her feelings well she was a is a spirit-filled charismatic christian or was at the time she's still christian but she was involved with a lot of really spirit-filled ministry and stuff like that and people were coming up to her who didn't know her and they were prophesying over her and they were like oh god wants you to have your heart's desire god wants you to have what you want well she walks away from that and goes oh i'm in love with this person god wants me to have this person well this person doesn't want you that way and that sent her on such a confusing, understandably confusing journey of like, well, if God wants me to have this, why don't I have it? And if God doesn't want me to have this, why did that person say that to me? God was speaking through that person. And if they weren't, if God wasn't speaking through that person, why would God allow that person to say that to me and get that idea in my head? And I've had that happen to me several times within circles like that, 
and it really fucks with your head. Again, I think people do have the ability to speak truth into your life like that. They've got to be careful because that's an example of really prolonging someone's suffering potentially, but also to look at it from the other way too. The desires of our heart sometimes change over time, mm-hmm. and that may very well be true, but she was so f- intent on having that be the subject with which she was being prophesied over that that's what she saw. Does that make sense? That's rough, too, because when when the people come in so hard at that or, like, claim to know and prophesy over you and, like, God wants this or, like, God wants you to, like, say you have no use of your legs and, like, God wants you to walk again. Like, you're going to... Yeah. Like, that can... That alone can fuck up a belief in God for someone. Absolutely. Because if it doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. But then at the same time, but then you also see these crazy things happen, too. I know. It's It's nuts. There are times where things just seem impossible and somebody gets some cor- some sort of word or they just have a feeling and they express it. So that is the really mysterious part. Yeah. <laughs> but I think there's a difference between having a premonition or intuition about something and expressing it to a person who may be in a state of desperation or may be vulnerable or impressionable. I know that I was. So if that person's got an idea in their head of what their life is supposed to look like, and you come in and say, God wants that for you, and that doesn't pan out the way they want, that is going to put a serious dent in their faith. It's going to send them into a faith crisis. That person came in as the voice of yes. higher power. Yeah. They're so set on believing that they were in Yeah, absolutely. And so doing the practices that I'm doing now, and you as somebody that has a different set of beliefs, I mean, our beliefs are similar, or I don't even want to say beliefs, I want to say ideas, because I think Mm -hmm. we're both open to receiving things. But the idea that I have a level of power over my own thoughts And I have the ability to examine, okay, am I thinking this thought or was this thought taught to me? And if that's the truth, I can address that and work on unlearning it and on retraining myself. That's important. That's an important thing for me to hear and know. And I do believe that higher power is in that. There are times where it only takes one time of somebody saying something to set you on a path where you believe that thing. I talked about it before, where I was like, you know, I was a little kid, I was in foot braces. I got those foot braces off and I started to learn to walk and run and my parents were like, ah, she runs like a duck. Doesn't she look silly? And that stayed with me for 32 years, one time. So I've had this idea in my head for a vast majority of my life, you can't run. You look stupid when you exert yourself physically. You're awkward physically. You are not good at sports. You're not athletic. You're not graceful. Those are all things that I believed were truths. And now digging deeper, I can say, okay, is that really true? Or was I just taught that through one thing that I heard? And I've been believing that that was the truth my whole life because my parents, it was a person of authority. It was somebody who was at the time telling me who I was. 
And how do I reject the idea that, well, I was just made physically defective? And how do I reprogram that so that I can figure out if I am or am not? Or what if I told myself I was just as capable of this as you, who is a very athletic person, or Nick, who is a really athletic person? Those are things that are worth exploring and thinking yeah. about. And that's all That's all really, really new for me. I feel like, too, with uh, deserving what you want, that it almost falls into the broader categories. Like, thinking of your friend or thinking of the guided meditations that are, like, feeling it before you see it kind of thing. But, yeah. like, you might, like, want something, but that something represents the, yes. the relationship you want with that one person represents, like, the fact that you want to be loved. But that love might not be that one person. It might be a really deep friendship. It might be a future partner. It might be mm-hmm. someone you weren't even considering. Or financially, you want to grow your business, and you have an idea that doing this one thing is going to make it happen for you or get you to finally pay your bills. And you're missing all these other options that will mm-hmm. be even better. And maybe that ties into the vending machine thing, too. Like, you think that you want the one specific thing, and that thing would give you a feeling, but it's so short-sighted. You do deserve the feeling. It's just that that feeling is going to come from this instead of that, possibly. Or Yeah, definitely. Oh, my God, yeah. And humans work that way. I mean, we're wired to... Our brains are wired to seek pleasure and fulfillment through the path of least resistance. And our brains are wired to help us survive. When people are like, oh, you got to think with your head, not with your heart. You're letting your heart run away with you or whatever. Well, your heart's really tied into your intuition, your heart and your gut. So your heart is teaching you how to perceive things using emotion. And your head is just trying to keep you alive. I guess the point that I'm trying to make here is that through all of this research that we've done and through all of these things that we're learning through guided meditation and through learning about manifestation and law of attraction and reality transferring, all that kind of stuff, is that our subconscious sees symbols and everything symbolizes something. So if we're pining after somebody who is emotionally unavailable or who doesn't want us back or whatever, that person is a symbol. It's not really who the person is, it's what they represent to us. Or to speak into what you were saying, there are people who win the lottery and it fucking ruins their lives because they think that money is the solution to their problems. And we hear that all the time, oh, money doesn't buy happiness. And if you've ever been poor, you know how much it hurts to not have money because it limits you. But if you do get money and you don't believe you deserve it, or if you do get a person and you don't believe you deserve them, or if you do get a job or career or some kind of windfall, whether it be financial, emotional, romantic, whatever, if you're not ready for it, you will lose it or you will subconsciously work really hard to fuck it up. So getting to the root of why you want something is really so much of what this is all about. When we think about setting some kind of lofty goal, I want a million dollars, or I intend to have a million dollars, we're thinking of the monetary aspect. So 
number one, I do think that we're creating some resistance to it. But number two, I think that we are looking at the money as the object and we need to really think about how money makes us feel. Aaron Doty is really good at that. How does the money make you feel? Because I know when I have all my bills paid and I have some money to throw around, that feels very free. I feel mm -hmm. free. I feel confident. I feel independent. Able to be giving. Yeah, like... absolutely. Being able to be generous. Also, I think when I, this is just personally for me, but when I am able to take care of myself financially, I think less about that romantic relationship that I want. Not because I look at someone as taking care of me financially, but because it's like, okay, I don't need you for shit. That was a big tie-in to previous relationships. That's a big tie-in to relationships with your parents. You know, when I told my dad, I don't want you to abuse me anymore, so I'm going to leave home. It was like, okay, well, pay for shit yourself. Good luck finding housing. Yeah. Good luck finding food. Good luck, you know, with all of these things that you want. So to me, rejecting shitty treatment sometimes means rejecting or going without really basic needs. And so when I'm able to fulfill those needs myself, I feel very free and independent and confident. And I feel like my standards can be higher. So that's why I like money. Money is just paper. Then is when those people are attracted in because you're not so focused on... Yeah. Then you feel like you're killing it. You're taking care of yourself. and you're. Yeah. Desperation is the most repellent thing ever. There are people that I otherwise would be really interested in getting closer to or having in my life. And just the fact that they need constant reassurance or the fact that they are so paranoid of being rejected that they need constant reminders that... I'm not going to disappear. And I've been on the other side of that, too. Mm -hmm. I've definitely been like, oh, shit. And different people can make you feel that way. Because sometimes yeah. it's you needing to do a lot of self-work on yourself. And sometimes maybe it is a red flag. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. It's different for everybody. But I think that it's worth examining both sides. So, for example, and I've talked about this with you before. I The first relationship that I had after having been abused like I waited like two and a half years and I met this awesome person and we worked together and I literally could see them I could physically see them and I could see how busy they were like 10 hours a day just working their ass off and I would have sent them a text in the morning and I didn't get a response in two hours three hours whatever and I could look across my workplace and see that he was busy doing shit. I was like, okay, calm down, calm down, calm down. Like he didn't change his mind about you from this morning. Yeah. <laughs> He's fucking busy. And that was something that I was trying to kill that emotion because I was telling myself that emotion is wrong. And I think if a sensation like that were to happen now, I talked to this person and what I know now is that yeah, A, this person is busy. B, they're not attached to their phone all the time like I am. And and lots of other things that just, if I don't hear back from them right away, it doesn't mean anything bad. Right. That's just who they are and how they function. 
and I was listening to a lot of bullshit from people. There's so much information on the internet about trying to blame women, especially for being like desperate or clingy. That's a bad thing. Like you got to be a bad bitch and super independent and you don't need a man and blah, blah, blah. And so I was feeling this battle waging inside of me of like, I'm concerned that he's going to flip on me because I have trauma from a person who, from my past, who one minute they thought that I was amazing and the next minute through no fault or power of my own, they were angry with me and when they got angry with me, they would ignore my texts. Mm-hmm. So and you just would, carry that to the next So story. I just carried it to the next one. And so I was trying to unwind that and I was trying to look at this new person as their own person and not the person from my past. And that was difficult for me. But then I was also hearing this kind of record playing in my head of you shouldn't need validation from that person. You shouldn't need reassurance. Why aren't you independent? Why do you care about him? Why are you so clingy? Why are you so desperate? And it was just two big piles of shame because on one hand, I wasn't enough of a woman. And on another hand, I was projecting my past shit onto this new person that I really loved. And so it was just so much fucking shame And if a situation like that were to occur now, it would absolutely be different because I've grown so much. It wouldn't be, let's try to push this emotion down or talk our way out of it. It would be, why am I feeling this way? And I'd be able to identify why, and I'd be able to talk to the person about it. Being able to get real with your emotions and let them exist and understand that they don't determine reality is really helpful and beneficial and again I think back then I was so wrapped up in religion that I wasn't able to access that nobody had told me that and hopefully I articulated that in a way that makes sense we have a tendency to fight things that feel unpleasant and if we can let those things have their place and understand that it doesn't determine what the truth actually is, then we can dissipate its power a little bit. Yeah. Well, so I think maybe we'll do another follow-up episode. We've really done a lot on the X-Pill. I think yeah. not just just because it's so, it's so deep and involved, but I think that, yeah, we're still taking these little candy hearts. We have about 30, 35 pills, uh, candies, in these novelty prescription bottles and maybe we'll do another follow-up after these yeah once they run out if you want yeah 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 i think so because this was really so much about the reaction and about what it's taught us so far but i know that this is a meditative practice with an with a physical archetype that we take every day so relating that to like guided meditations do you remember when you first started doing guided meditations yeah and it's asking you to visualize something and you're mind is coming in being like no don't think about that or like that's not possible or like that's not a thing like it's kind of trying to sabotage your thought process but then when you keep doing it it's like eventually that resistance dissipates it's like working out yeah that first time you're like oh my god i'm gonna die and then yeah it gradually gets easier 
So I think after 30 days, it's going to be really... I think so, too. Yeah. Yeah. And I love guided meditations now. And I do, too. so, like, I, I look forward to doing them. I look forward to when I wake up in the morning. It was funny this morning. So I did... Uh, there's a podcast called The Liturgists. Yes. And they have made some guided meditations, too. And I remember back before we moved in here with you, when we lived at our other house, I was doing them before work. Mm-hmm. And I would be sitting there, and I'd be like, my God, these are so long. Like, I would be... I'd, I'd pick up my phone in the middle of it and look at it and be like, five minutes left, yeah, that's good. Like, yeah. we're good enough. And then stop and leave for work. And I decided to go back to one of those today and just do it to see what it was like. And I mm-hmm. loved it. And I looked at the timestamp on it. It was a 13-minute guided meditation. Okay, I feel like your like old discipline with guided meditation is like my discipline with like doing squats. Like, <laughs> is this fucking done yet? <laughs> Like, I'll do some video, some workout video or some Pilates video or something when it's like, okay, it's 15 minutes. And I'm like, God damn it, can this ever end? I fucking hate this. But then, like, after a while, it's like, you know, I'm like, oh, shit. Like, that went by really fast. Yeah. I'm hungry for spiritual. Yeah. I mean, I know you are too, but it's like, I'm really hungry for digging out my subconscious like an ice cream scoop. And I think maybe it didn't come as naturally to you. Right. And then with the physical stuff, like, you could do a 17-minute workout, and you'd be like, oh, that's it's done already? <laughs> yeah. And I'm three minutes in, and I'm like, oh, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just fat, and I'll just always be fat and untoned and whatever. But now you could be like, hey, Dan, here's the sweet 40-guided meditation, and then now we're going to go on, like, a prayer labyrinth walk through this super progressive church for an hour and I'm like, sweet, see you there. I know, right? I know, it's crazy. <laughs> so it's it's cool that we've we've grown each other. I really like it. Um, so we are going to be doing, we have got some cool new episodes that we're planning on doing. Dan and I are going to rejoin MySpace. If yeah. you're familiar with MySpace. Um, if you're on there, we'll put you in topic yeah you're gonna be in our top eight forever i think we only have like eight (laughs) listeners so that'll be perfect it'll be really fucking easy um and we have a couple other episodes coming up as well yeah we want to thank you so much for listening uh dan social media stuff can you get in there with that because you're better at that what the instagram and yours and mine and yes do we have facebook so we do have a facebook page you can find us by looking up the flower confessional i can't remember the handle or if i made a handle for it yet but i'll do that i'll make it at the flower confessional you can also find us on instagram our handle is at the flower confessional i am on instagram as at dan nofi and angela is also on instagram yep and that's at angela morris makeup all one word and uh, any other news? I don't think so. Before we wrap up, I don't up. think so either. I'm excited that we're back into this. We're I know. Kind of on a little break for. I know. Me too. It was weird. It felt weird, but then getting back into the groove is so nice. And I feel like every time we do it, it gets a little bit. It feels a little bit more natural, regardless of how much time we spend away from it. So um, thank you for listening, and we will see you next time.